But let's, let's get a little past that. Let's get a little deeper. What, what's the power of Hanukkah? What's, what's the spiritual light? Again, every Jewish holiday, you have to figure out what is the spiritual light available during that time that we are able to connect to. And by the way, this is very similar again to Purim, Purim spiritual light. Why? Because it was created by us. And in essence, if you remember, also in Tishabov, in a negative way, it's been it was created by us. Meaning, it's not the Hanukkah never came from a from the Torah. Hanukkah came about because of actions that we, the Jewish people, took that changed the fabric of creation, changed the fabric of the world, and in essence, instilled the spiritual energy in the day that now goes into the future, right? Our actions, that which transpired on Hanukkah, infused the day, in essence, the eight days that are coming up to go into the future. That spiritual energy that was created is now available or will be available for the eight days of Hanukkah. So what, what in essence is that energy? What, what is that value? What's the energy? So first, let's, let's just try to get to understanding the light, lights of Hanukkah, right? Everyone knows the famous story. We, the Greeks, the Greeks took over the temple. They put an idol in the temple. <coughs> they sacrificed a pig there. They impurified the whole place. They impurified the oil. And once we had the miraculous final victory against the Greeks, and we took back the temple, we went in and... What? We found one small flask of oil, right? One small flask of oil that we were able to light and it lasted all eight nights. Yeah. I think most people know that story more or less. Maybe some less, some more. They, they, yeah. they lit the candles usually around that time every year, regardless of the flask. Time. Remember that that was the they lit every day in in the temple. Every day, Hanukkah, the menorah was was a part of was a part of the lighting in in the temple every every day. So it's not like one of those things that like our our forefathers would celebrate Hanukkah. They wouldn't. No, okay. nothing to do with it. Menorah is a calendar. It was just that was, it was just a normal active part of the temple service. It was a normal active part of the temple service. What gave the the miracle was it lasted. They had one flask that was only supposed to last for that day. I mean that one full day, and it lasted eight, right? Question. You know, it's a nice story, but if you start looking into it, it doesn't match. What doesn't match? A few questions. 
Number one is, what's the big miracle? What's the big miracle? In the grand scope of Jewish history, and all the tremendous, massive miracles that have happened to us, where does this stack up? Compare it. Where does it stack up? Is this like, oh, wow, unbelievable, super duper, incredible, like, I can't believe that no. type of miracle? Not at all. Yeah, the war. Yeah, like, well, what? Yeah, but we were, they were going to wipe us out so easily, yeah. Right, so. Like, the 60s. But why? Wait, wait, wait. So, press pause. When you're lighting the candles, what are you mentioning? Adlik Nair, Shell, Hanukkah. Right? So, and there is. Ah, the, oh, so wait, wait, wait. So that's, that's. Right, so, so we're, we're going to get. Right. So. So it's, it's, uh. Right. So the, the, the small defeated the the large right but in essence what is lighting the candles have to do with what you're discussing nothing what is what is what is lighting the candles after the war we're not mentioning the war we're lighting candles we're talking about the what what is it nay what do we say when it's even saying hebrew nays what nays melchama do we say that nays melchama do you ever hear that no. You say nace Hanukkah or or the the nace of the the miracle of the lights. The miracle of the lighting. The miracle of the menorah. It's never mentioned even the the term the miracle of the war. So in essence, the whole focus is really on the lights. Like, you, I guess you automatically just kind of synthesized it to be the war. But, again, at least, at least the way the sages presented it, it's the miracle of the lights. Add one more step. This is a technical thing, and I'll do it very quick. But technically, did we need every... Light to be pure? In halachic Jewish law. Let's say, what would have happened? What would have happened if they'd have found zero pure sealed jugs, uh, small little jugs of, of oil? They couldn't light it again? Could they, could they, would they have not been able to light? Let's say every all the oil is impure. It's all opened. It's all touched by the... By the Greeks, it was just, all impure. Now they could probably use it, but it's not as holy. Would they not be able to say a blessing? The law, in essence, is when everything is impure for the public, you're allowed to use it. So in essence, the miracle that was this big, massive, huge miracle, the eight lights that were lasted, was superfluous in essence. We don't even need it. Because if it was all impure, and it wouldn't, they wouldn't have found one small little jug, they could have lit 
with the impure ones. Well, but it lasted eight nights. Okay, so you had... That's a, that's a that's, scientific miracle. You had a nice... You had, you, had a, you had an addition, nice little miracle, right? Yeah, but why don't we split the... But water? in essence, what I, what I want to say is you don't, you don't even need it. You didn't need it. It wasn't necessary. We would have been okay without it. So, the Maral was was saying exactly what what you were saying. The miracle, the the miracle actually wasn't 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 the lights. The lights is just. It's, you know, relatively speaking, it's very small. Comparative to the massive miracles of the Jewish people, Egypt and all the miracles there, all the natural daily miracles that were documented in the temple. Do you know flies wouldn't come to the meat? They had raw meat everywhere. Think about it. Raw meat everywhere. More than a butcher shop, right? More than a regular butcher shop. There is no flies that would come near there. No flies would even come. Not, not an open miracle? Do you know the f- fire, you know when smoke, you know, what is it usually, it's like, I mean, we know from the fires over here, right? It just spreads and goes like this. Do you know how the smoke was? It was documented, how the smoke was there. Perfect column going straight up. These aren't miracles? Just every day, daily, while you go there. It was just a just small little taste. There's much more. So as far as this happening, again, this is, this is nothing. So why was this such a directive by our sages the next year? We're going to light Hanukkah. We're going to celebrate all eight nights because of the miracle. You know why? Because in war, we should know more than anyone else. I'll tell you a story. When we go in, when I was in basic training in the army, first couple of days. So, um, in essence, it's still a Jewish army, right? What do you, Jewish army likes to do? Talk, you know, we like to discuss, debate, talk. So we had um, one, one of the discussions was the 67 war leading to the 73 war. Mm-hmm. So if you understood or uh, were, have ever heard of the 67 war, it was massive panic before the war. Right before the war, was massive panic. They kept talking, and they were digging, literally, there was digging graves for like 10,000, and not more graves to be fresh graves to be for, uh, you know, God forbid, what was going to happen. They were literally digging graves. The, the, the terminology that was stated there, you know, the last one turns off the lights meaning that this, this really could be the, the second Holocaust. That was the talk of what was happening. Seven Arab armies gathering against us, the whole world is against us, or not supporting us at all. America's not really going to do anything to, to stop the, the, the Egyptians, and the Egyptians now are united with, this, with, the, with the Syrians, and they took over the army from the Jordanians, and now it's, you know, got the whole Arabs at a rile and they're going to go drive all the Jews into the sea. That was the talk. And in this massive, massive, massive panic, 
What happens? Basically, in six days, we destroyed all the Arab armies, mm-hmm. wiped them all clean, came back to Jerusalem, came back to the Temple Mount, and the seventh day we rested. <laughs> right, right, right by the Kotel and the Temple Mount. Incredible. Miracle. Open miracle. Right? So much so that the, the, in West Point, in, I heard this story that in 1992, a, a West Point cadet, they were studying all the different wars and also Middle East wars. And they had like a Cray machine, which is like uh, their supercomputer back then in the 90s. And they mapped out how every war was won. And the one war they went, they, did, they also did have part about Israeli wars. And the one war they skipped was 67 war. So they asked, he asked the professor, one of the students came up to a Jewish guy, came up to the professor after, he's like, why, why do we skip 67 war? Because the, and the professor said, we don't deal with miracles. Hmm. We want to deal with real battle plans. I'm saying, I don't know if he was joking or not, partially, but it, it's, it's true. I mean, any, any fool can realize what, what transpired there in, in six days. It was, you know, massive miracle. So my, uh, I had a professor in Hebrew U in 1996. Mm. I'll, I'll leave out his name for now, I guess, because it's maybe not such a flattering statement for him. <laughs> um, so he was, he was kind of an arrogant professor. He was world-known, renowned. And he was a specialist in, ter- in like terrorism, and he was interviewed in, um, I remember even seeing him on, on major networks. So one of the times, he, uh, I remember one of famous, his famous statements, he said, a lot of people say that it was, uh, you know, the Six-Day War, that it, was, um, that it was God that won the war. It was not God, but it was the Israeli army. That was his famous statement to uh, in class. It was the Israeli army. So forwarding back to even in the Israeli army, the recognition was the arrogance that we had afterwards led to the 73 war, which we almost lost. We almost lost it all. Literally, if you, if you, I'm not going to go into the wars, but we almost lost it. We won every war. We literally was last day of supplies and it would have been all over. We had one day left. I heard they lost like a fifth of their army. Yes. In, in we lost a tremendous amount of uh-huh. uh, people. Yeah. The, the idea that a war can easily be misunderstood as tactics, guerrilla warfare, um, military techniques, and you lose the whole idea of it. It's lost. It gets lost among the shuffle. People don't get the message. And they all of a, all of a sudden realize that what? It's our own strength. It's our own abilities. It's what we did. Look what we can accomplish. And you lose the message. The sages realize that. The sages realized that and said, you know what we have to do? We're going to realize it. We're going to put it on the lights. The lights aren't, in essence, the biggest miracle. What is the lights, though? What does it tell you? The rededication of the temple, coming back to our land and the ability to live as Jews, that is the real miracle. 
Of course, how did that happen? Through the miracle of the war. That's the big, that's the big event. That's the amazing miracle. But it's hidden in what? What is it packaged in? The lights. The miracle was just the cherry on top of the lights saying, where was this all coming from? It didn't come from all of our human ingenuity or tactics in guerrilla warfare. It came as a miracle. But where did the miracle come from? Miracles don't happen, in essence, on their own. There is a cause to the miracle. And in that, yes, we, the Jewish people, can, quote-unquote, take credit. We can't take credit for what? The war. Why not? Because, come on, really, think about it. Do you know what this war was? It was a bunch of rabbis from Measharim, right? Five old, you know, one old guy with his, with his young kids that went to take on... You know, I'm not going to say the American army. We'll say the Russian army because maybe you'll, you know, associate with maybe just being a little bit evil, right? <laughs> or not so good, right? Take, take these, you know, five guys, literally, that say they're going to take on the entire massive Greek army, which is the most powerful army of the time with their massive elephants, which in our terms, tanks, right? These five Measharim rabbis, one older, one younger, one medium, right? They're going to take on the tanks. Really? Do you really think because of their guerrilla warfare tactics they won? Come on. That was really the reason? Of course they had to practice guerrilla warfare. Yes. They had to do it in the natural way. But that was really the reason? No. That's not the reason. What's the reason? They were willing to put their lives on the line. They were literally willing to put their lives on the line. For what? Jewish life. Jewish meaning. Jewish values. That's an amazing thing. It's called misirat nefesh. Being able to give over your life for what you believe in. Values. Jewish values. It's not that, again, they wanted to die. It wasn't that they were now all of a sudden into, you know, we have a whole culture out there of, of wanting to be, become martyrs and dying. They're not, they're not glorifying death. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. They're glorifying life. They're glorifying Jewish life. And living for meaning and living for our values. Who were they fighting against besides this massive Greek army? They're actually fighting against... Exactly. They're fighting against assimilated Jews. Because there was a whole group of Hellenized, assimilated Jews that were on the Greek side. The Greeks were only coming to do one, one thing only, uproot Jewish life. They weren't coming to kill Jews. 
If you were a Jew and you became a Greek and espoused to the Greek ideals and wanted to live a Greek life, no problem. Join, join the culture. Join the empire. And live as a Greek, no problem. Live as a Jew, it's death. That, that was the message. And you can imagine, you can imagine what the challenge is, was. What do I do? Do I, do I basically die? And fight against this massive army and people that are trying to wipe us out? Or I guess wipe out Jewish life? Where do I live? And my family live? And we become, okay, we become like the Greeks and the regular Western society. Is that okay? Can we do it? Imagine what that, what that means. So you know what this family did? They made a statement. They made a message to the entire Jewish people. Yes, it's better to give our lives as Jews than to live as Greeks. Incredible, powerful message. Mm. It's better to give our lives to live as Jews. That, that is the answer. That was their message. Better to live and die as Jews than to live as Greeks. Back to us. And the world we live in. Where most of the Jewish world has chosen to live like Greeks. It's kind of funny. The one holiday that's really almost celebrated by almost every Jew that has some kind of a semblance to Jewish life. Or I shouldn't say Jewish life, but at least some semblance of Jewish connection, <laughs> they still light Hanukkah candles. And you know when they're lighting the candles, when you light the candles, the main concept that you're giving over when you're lighting, when you're saying in the lights, come look, see the lights, what's called Pirsuma Nisa, to advertise the miracle, you know what you're saying? It's better to live and die as a Jew than to live as a westernized Jew, a Greek Jew. Sorry for the term, secularized Jew. That's what we're saying. That's the message. And one more step, and, and especially for us, in the previous generation that kind of made those choices that became secularized in quotes 
what they had to face were only maybe starting to taste, see, smell right now. In the past generation, where, whether you were a Jew that grew up in Russia or Iran or America or any place, what did you have to deal with? What did you have to deal with? In America, you had to deal with being fired every single, every single week because you didn't, you didn't come to work on Shabbat if you wanted to keep Shabbat. Every single week you were fired. How many people could stand up to that? Imagine. If you want to keep Shabbat, you had to go search for another job on Sunday, Monday. 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 And this is not the wealthy America that you can find a job anywhere and worrying about money. Oh, I won't be able to buy the BMW. No, it's not. I won't be able to buy the BMW. It's I won't be able to buy bread. I won't be able to buy fancy clothes. No, it's I won't be able to buy clothes, period. I won't be able to feed my kids, clothe my kids. That's the challenge of keeping Shabbat. So you either keep Shabbat or maybe not find food or have enough food or struggle so much that every week you're, you're trying to figure out how I'm going to make it. Or in Russia, being, being, having the KGB follow you in every step and every foot. If you wanted to go have a circumcision for your child, you know that you, you probably had a KGB agent at the synagogue and maybe after the, after the circumcision, maybe you wouldn't be coming back. Or in Iran, when it rained, right? When it rained, being punched or moved away or told you had to go across the street because you were impure and you, you didn't want to, you weren't able to walk or touch any other non, uh, uh, sorry, you weren't able to touch or walk near any Muslim because you, were, you would transmit your impurity to them. and being abused in school and all the other things that I'm sure you can ask your grandparents. So that was the challenges. The question is, what, what's, our, what's our challenge? What's our excuse? We don't have these challenges anymore. Again, we're only now starting to see slowly. Again, thank God it's not yet so direct in our lives. What's our excuse? What excuse do we really have? Are we facing these challenges? Threat of death, threat of not being able to provide for your family? No, thank God. So why, why, what are, what are we doing about it? The message of Hanukkah, message of Hanukkah 
So the mystics bring down is when you light lights, what are you doing? You're taking the darkness and being able to reveal what's already there. You're not, you're not creating anything new. There's no new creation. It's just now being able to look into what wasn't visible previously. It's always, it was always there. It's just you what? Couldn't see it. Couldn't see it. That's Hanukkah. You couldn't see it. But it's all visible right there in front of you. The message is very clear and direct. Our world right now, what the message is and what we need is passionate Jews that are willing to quote-unquote be what's called misirat nefesh, to live a Jewish life. Passionate Jews that are willing to put their lives quote-unquote on line in order to establish a Jewish life in their own community, home, life. Get rid of all of our excuses that are holding us back. All of our fears that whatever they may be, whether it may be societal, whether it may be uh, parental, whether it be other family, who cares? Who cares what anyone else says? What do they think? What real excuse do we have? Think about it. You have to ask yourself. In essence, the way that I'm living my life or individually, the decisions that I make, is it more Western, quote-unquote Greek? Or is it more Jewish? When you start analyzing individually in your life, we have to start making the decisions. We have to be able to stand up and say, you know what? In this holiday, the energy that is coming down, when I light the candles, when I light the Hanukkah lights, the light that I'm opening up, that I'm exposing, is realizing that I need to be a passionate Jew that's willing to put my life on the line for Jewish values. I have to live that. I have to breathe it. I have to let it infuse my life. That I can make the changes when it's difficult. When I'm up to the challenges. Because there will be challenges. There's all those challenges. When I ask myself, am I living my life more like a Greek or a Westerner? Let's put it in... Today's t- terminology, like a Westerner, like a, an regular American, or like a Jew. And the energy of Hanukkah is to be able to infuse my life and say, I will live. I will be passionate. I will be able to be Mesirat Nefesh. Literally, Give up my life for my values. I'm willing and ready to do it.
Not because I want to die to be a Jew, because I want to live to be a Jew. That's the message. I'll finish. There was a, a I just uh, recently saw this. There is a, um, a Jew in Bergen-Belzer by the name of uh, Rabbi Shmelka. Very Jewish name, Shmelka. <laughs> I've never met a non-Jew named Shmelka. Um, you, might, you might be on Melrose. Probably, that's true. You meet a lot of people on Melrose <laughs> that I don't want to meet. Uh, yeah, so Rabbi Shmelka, Rabbi Shmelka was was uh, in Bergen-Belsen and he was on work detail. And one of the work details that he was in was one of the worst. It was called Zunderkommend, which means he was burying the, the bodies after, uh, after either they were um, killed, murdered, or died of disease and other unnat- unnatural causes. So one of the times where he was burying one of the bodies, he uncovered, buried in the frozen ground, was a little package. And he opened up the package and he saw in there a very, very small glasses packed away with tiny bits of oil in eight jars and one big jar and little wicks packed away in like yarn that was tied. Obviously some Jewish person put this together and it was only like a couple days till Hanukkah. So Shmelka was thinking like, I wonder if the Jew is still alive. I wonder if he just hid it now and I'm uncovering it. Or is he probably one of the people that I'm burying here? And tried to get the message out a little bit to try to find out if anyone, you know, quote unquote, buried a package without saying too much because unfortunately there were Jewish capos that would, um, that were, let's just say, weren't on the Jewish side. Mm-hmm. So without getting any real response, he realized, you know, probably the person is one of the people that he buried. So he used and lit in his barracks. He called, you know, they got up at two in the morning. So make sure that, you know, at that point, um, even the Nazis were sleeping. And he sent, like, one guy, like, by the entrance to to make sure that no one would uh no one would come in and he woke up the the group of people came in snuck in and they and they all agreed that two two in the morning they're gonna light the hanukkah candles and every night every eight nights they did and they lit just enough time whatever it was the the time frame that they were able to light for and then they blew it out and then and then went back to bed And he said every single night they cried. 
because they remembered. Obviously, all the people that were gone, all the family was lost. And yet they said, you know what? It gave them the passion, the energy to realize why they had to survive. Why they were, it was an obligation to survive, to live a Jewish life. And each and every single one of them that was in that barrack that did survive said that that gave them the energy, the energy to be able to persevere and gave them the focus to live a Jewish life. The story finishes, Shmelka made it to the United States and he went to go see one of uh, uh, the rabbis that was from his town, that actually was in Bergen-Belsen. While he was there, he heard, but he, he, got, he escaped. It was, it was amazing uh, how he escaped and he got out. His name is Asat Marav, uh, Yol in, in New York. And he went and he went to see him and he was discussing that he was also in Bergen-Belsen and how he survived there for a long time. And then he actually told them the story and uh, how he found the package. And Rabbi Yol says, the, 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 the rabbi said to him, you found the package? I put that package. That was my package. And I always wondered, did anyone ever find those, those little, that package that I made and I buried there intentionally? Because I left only four days before Hanukkah. I, was, I, was, I made that escape. You had a whole crazy, miraculous escape. It's not for now. But he said, I, four days before that escape, I, I buried there thinking, you know what, should I take it? Should I not take it? I don't know if I could. It was a whole long story how he couldn't take it. So he just buried it. And he always wondered, you know, like, it's probably still there in the frozen ground in Poland. And now he found out that Schmelka found it, used it, and gave him the strength to survive and rebuild a Jewish life. We have no excuses. We're not in Bergen-Belsen, <coughs> thank God. We're not in America of the 20s, or Iran, or Russia. We have the ability to light in an open flame, lift up the candles, put them in the window, and pronounce, i rather live a life as a Jew than as a Greek. Make that announcement. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much. That was like the most powerful. Like this, I haven't had this much like, oh my God, since Israel.